So tell me your story, Kobe. All right, my story. I started coming to church about a year and a half ago. I started coming to Plum Creek with my girlfriend, Kirkland. She kind of got me back into it. I used to go a long time ago, but ever since I moved, I, I was out of it for a while. I was on the verge of being baptized before, and the move got me got me out of it. I just wasn't going to church for about two years. And then coming back, I started coming to youth group, and I, I made friends. I made some people I didn't know. I had some adult leadership around me. It helped me out a lot through some uh, hard times I had, and I still have going on. At the moment, my mother, she's going through uh, some bad cancer. She's not doing too good. She's in a feeding tube, and I get text messages all the time from Lenny Brown and his family, and uh, Shannon Brannon, her family, and Tony Libertori, his family, always asking how she's doing. And uh, helps me out a lot, because she ain't doing real well. And uh, all the friends and support I have around me, just it's always been a help. We always do really cool things around youth, too. We talk about some stories about Jesus, we do some games, we have some competitions between each other in the schools, and the uh, high school guys were always going to win, it's always a fact, and tell me how you made your decision to get baptized. My, I made my decision, I wanted to do it at a, I've always wanted to do it at a cool place and move, we were at Michigan, and I, I wanted to start getting into it, wanting to be baptized again been reading on the Bible around that time and we went to move and I told talked to Tony before we went I said I really want to do this and he made me write out this letter about why I want to be baptized and I wrote it out real thoughtful I put some put some time into it and gave it to Tony and he liked it and uh, we made the decision when we went to Lake Michigan and Tony gave me the baptism it was a really awesome experience we had a couple other high schoolers get baptized also it was just a real cool time, and I, I never regret it. It was great. Good morning, Plum Creek. It's a great way to start a new year by having our students take over. How amazing was that this morning? Wasn't that awesome? They've been working hard at it. Our team has been working really hard for the last six, eight weeks and really excited about what God is doing in their lives. And I'm excited to be here as well because I get to share with you guys some great principles we see out of God's Word. But I'm not the only one that's going to be sharing with you. As you've already seen, Kobe's did a great job starting us out and really loved hearing how he talked about a lot of people breathing life into him and pointing him towards God so that he can make the right decision. See, my name, my name is Tony Libertori. I'm the family minister here. I've been here for about eight and a half years and I've loved being here for the time that I've been here and it's been great seeing God move in the lives of our students. One thing you might not know about me is that a few years ago, I found a love for riding bicycles. I started riding uh, about two and a half years ago, and I just enjoy it. Sometimes I'll even ride to work, and I live up in Alexandria, and it's a great exercise for me. A few months ago, I had an opportunity to go to Spring Grove Cemetery, and if you've ever been there, it's got beautiful scenery, and I decided I was going to take my bike and ride it around there. 
and I also was there. I got a picture. You could see when I was there that morning. It was a little bit gloomy, uh, a little bit gray. It ended up raining on me, so I had to stop raining, and that's when I got a chance to take a picture. But when I was there, I got a chance to ride around, and I started thinking about the idea of all the people who were buried there. What was the greatest impact or influence that they had in their lives? See, some of the people that were buried there, they had friends or family or just people visiting them. But as I looked around and rode around, I started noticing there was some that looked like nobody had been there for years. And it got me wondering, you know, what about our lives? Because our lives have time limitations on them. I know God has gifted us some abilities and opportunities to see and use to help others see him. And as I rode around, I began to think about all the people that have influenced me. You know, the ones that they took their time, they took their effort, they used their lives to pour into me to get me to where I am today. And it got me wondering about those that I was influencing, those that are around me. What kind of impact am I truly having on them? How am I making a difference in their lives? How am I investing in the next generation around me to help them seek God in all they do? And I know for me, sometimes it seems simple. You know, I teach God's word. I go on trips. I show up at events. I go to school with them sometimes. But is it truly making the difference that God wants me to? And this morning, I wanted to challenge you. And I wanted to ask you a similar question that I asked myself months ago. How am I investing and influencing others towards God? Specifically, as we look at the students, kind of the ones that took over this morning, how am I influencing those in the next generation? Those are just starting out in their path and they're starting to lead in the ways that God has gifted them. The reason this is so important and so needed is that, I know this is scary, but just in a few years, the students that we've seen on stage, the students that were greeting us or passing offering and communion out, they're going to be out of high school. Some of them are going to be out of college, starting careers, starting their families, and they're going to be on their own. And the research has shown that students walk away from their faith after high school at an alarming rate. Students that are part of a church tend to drift or kind of fall away from their faith at a rate of around 50%. There are even some studies that have that number much higher, somewhere around 75%. But either way, that number is alarming. It's huge. It shows us that our job here is to help implement a faith that can withstand all the things that will get thrown at students as they go out and start their colleges, start their careers, start their families, whatever it might be. Not only are they walking away at a large rate, but the percentage of people with a biblical worldview has declined in each generation. So we'll start with the boomers. Boomers that have a biblical worldview, it's around 10%. Generation X, 7%. Millennials, you know, everyone that wants to beat up on the millennials, they're at 6%. And then we come to Generation Z, 4%. And when we say someone with a biblical worldview, we're talking about someone that has a personal commitment to Jesus, that believes the Bible is accurate, they believe they have a responsibility to tell others about it. They don't think you can get to heaven by just being good. And they believe God is all-powerful. He's the creator and ruler of our world. See, teens are twice as likely as adults to say they're atheists. 51% of Generation Z 
say happiness is their ultimate goal in life. 43% actually say it's money that brings the happiness. We're seeing that biblical literacy is at an all-time low and that this generation is growing up to live in a post-Christian, post-truth world. The average 13 to 17-year-old exchanges 3,339 text messages a month. I know some of you probably thought a day. That equates to 111 a day, 111 text messages a day. Kids are spending more time with technology than with their family or in school. They're averaging 8 to 11 hours a day. So we know that the biggest influence in their lives right now is probably sitting in their pocket or, as I'm talking, most likely they're sending a Snapchat or a text message as we're going. I'm not trying to throw all this information out to you to scare anyone or say, you know, all is lost. We're just going to throw the towel in. We're going to give up. Now, that's why we're here this morning. We're here today to talk about how the influence we have, we can use it and help shape and direct people towards a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Something that only happens if we invest our resources, our lives, our gifts into this next generation. So what does it look like to invest in the next generation and help point them towards God? The amazing thing is, is the Bible speaks into this. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 together. We're going to see from there some principles we can use from God on how we can do that. So if you've got a Bible, open up to me, open up with me, or you can follow along on the screen or on your screen. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, what we're hearing here is from Moses. He's addressing a generation that has been out of slavery already, and actually it's been over 40 years since they were in slavery. So the folks that he's addressing, these are the parents and the adults that probably have no idea what it was like to live in slavery. But you've got to realize where their backstory is. These Israelites, they were in slavery for over 430 years. To put this in perspective, the United States has been around for 240, just over 240 years. So imagine our whole existence, plus add just another 200 years to it. That's where their backstory is. And he's telling them now things are changing. And he's talking to this generation that's below him. He wants to set them up for what they're to do as they enter into this promised land. Set a tone for the direction of God's people. In this passage, we can see five principles that help us as we invest in the next generation. And Moses, he's giving these principles as he's instructing parents on bringing up the next generation, bring them up in faith, and this is how we do it. So the first principle that we see is something we call widening the circle. Widen the circle. The passage begins right away. Hear, O Israel. Moses isn't just speaking to one person. He's not saying, hear, O Mike, or not one family, hear, O Smiths. He's not even talking to families in general. He's speaking to everyone about this, all of Israel. When it comes to passing our faith to the next generation, it can't just be the parents' responsibility. He didn't say, moms and dad, listen up. You're in this stage of life, so you need to hear this. No, he said, hear, O Israel. 
Widening the circle is all about one thing. It's strategic relationships. We're seeking relationships that are influencing and pointing others towards God. And in our family ministries, we see this principle play out through the role of our small group leaders. We have some amazing people who are leading our students, our kids, pouring their lives out to help with them with this idea of widening the circle. And they're not the only ones that are investing on Sundays in our family ministry. We have folks who are cleaning up afterwards. Some who are checking people in that you might have gotten checked in this morning from. Others who help cook meals for us when we have youth group. You know, others help set up that amazing setup we have for in the gathering area for our student ministry. See, these folks are investing as well. They have an impact on the next generation. When we as parents widen the circle, we're inviting others to have voices into our children's faith journey and help shape them in a great way. I'm going to help you understand this principle a little bit better. So this is going to be a little interactive. Got to get the juices flowing a little bit, okay? You're going to be raising your hand for me, all right? So I want you to raise your hand if you've ever known what you're supposed to do, but you didn't actually do it until someone you know, someone you love and trusted, told you you needed to do it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of us, I know. Okay, you put your hands down. All right. How many of us, this one's going to be the best. When you were growing up, Maybe you didn't listen to the advice of your mom and dad, but you did listen to somebody else that you love and trust, and they advised you to do the same thing. You know, you did something that your parents originally told you you didn't do it until somebody else told you to do it. Yeah, we've all done that, right? These are the voices that we're talking about, those that come when we widen the circle. It's so important for us to do that in our lives. For parents, we need to help do this at a young age, when our kids are at a young age. So it almost seems strange, you know, when they become teenagers, not to have these multiple voices from older generations speaking truth into their lives. I can remember distinct opportunities and times in my high school uh, career that I was talking to friends about heavy stuff, and it's happening in their lives, and I started realizing I'm the only one that they're going to come to. They don't have anybody else to talk to. They don't have anybody older and wiser just to come around. They're not even going to talk to their parents about this. And I remember how sad I felt knowing that. Partly because I was a teenager, and I'm sure my advice was amazing, but awful, you know? And the bigger picture, they didn't have people outside of their family that were maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years farther down the process than them that could give them a different perspective who could share their experiences, speak truth into their life. See, parents, that starts when our kids are young. We need to be intentional about helping to build and nourish relationships between our kids and other voices in their lives. And I'm so grateful for the volunteers we have here in our family ministry, for how that's lived out in the lives of my kids, but also into the students that we see here at Plum Creek. As individual This principle continues to be important. We need to be intentional in our own lives to widen the circle of influence for ourselves as well. And this is not something that accidentally happens. We don't accidentally develop a meaningful relationship with someone who's 10 years or 20 years further along the road than us. Or someone who is 15 or 20, 30, 40 years younger than us in their faith. To be influential among generations, we have to widen our circle. And this is something that we talk about in our life groups and in our small groups with their student and kids ministry. We say this language, who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Who's your Barnabas? 
Paul, is that older mentor in your life, someone who has and continues to be influencing you. Timothy, that younger in faith person you are mentoring and you're influencing. And then finally, that Barnabas, the peer that you're being encouraged by, but you're also encouraging as well. The second principle that we see from this passage is that you have to imagine the end. I know sometimes it's hard to imagine the end of the day, let alone what the end goal of raising my children will be. But Deuteronomy 6, 4, again, says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then Moses continues and says, This is what our life should focus on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. See, Moses, he's pointing his people in the direction they need to go and focus their lives on. If they allow God to steer their lives, the end goal will be one that has great influence and impact for the kingdom of God. But Moses, he's not the only one that spoke to this principle. We see in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he gets in his bind. He's got these religious leaders that are trying to trick him. They corner him and they're trying to ask him something that they think is going to be a trick question. Say, what is the greatest commandment? Knowing in their minds that if he picks one, they've got him. Because they're all equal in their minds. But Jesus, he knows the end. He knows the heart. He knows their mind. And this is how he replies. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The ideas that we see here all boils down to this. When you come to the end of your life, the only thing that truly matters is a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God. If we imagine the end, we're looking at this next generation and pointing them to what truly matters, a life-changing relationship with Jesus. If you remember, towards the beginning, I gave you statistics, and one of them says more than half of this generation thinks what matters most happiness. But if we want to help influence them, we're going to point them to what we see Moses and Jesus pointing people towards, a relationship with our Creator. We need to remember and remind those around us that there's a bigger story, and God, He's the center of it. I know this is simple, but a bold statement. But do we believe it? And if we do, what should that mean to us right now? When we imagine the end, it challenges us to distinguish more clearly between what matters and what matters most. What values do you want our kids, the next generation, to embody? What do you want them to become? What hopes and dreams do we have for them? And I know for some of us, that can be overwhelming. That is why one of the values we have here at Plum Creek is on families. And it's specifically this. We will build stronger families by centering homes on Christ with a focus on marriages and the next generation. What that means is we have resources as well to help you imagine the end and have some great family conversations, faith conversations at home. Did you know on that smartphone I pulled out earlier, you can pull up an app. It's called the Parent Q app. You download it and you link up to what we're teaching in our student and our kids ministry. We also have kids and student Facebook pages and Instagram accounts, where we are always posting reminders of what we've already done, what's coming up, and pointing the next generation to imagine the end. Imagine how your life can be changed by an almighty God. Now, for those of you that are past this stage, maybe you have 
grown kids or you don't have any children at all, this still applies to you. First off, even if you're not the spiritual leader in someone's life, you can be open to allowing God to use you to help them take their next step. You know, take a next step in your pursuit of a relationship with God. Maybe that's through volunteering even to work in our kids or our student ministries. Maybe it's something that happens organically through the relationships you already have with young people in your life. This could be neighbors, folks in your community, or even the younger generation at your workplace. Imagine the end and point them towards it. Well, the third principle that we see coming from Deuteronomy is that we need to fight for the heart. And I know you came this morning not thinking that this guy's going to come up on stage, he's going to tell you to fight. I'm not telling you to get out there and start boxing with somebody. What I'm telling you is I want you to fight for the heart, basically passing down the legacy of faith to the next generation, fighting for their hearts to be turned towards God. See, this one principle is easily one that we can overlook. We can just say, you know what, we'll just do the other ones, skip this one, we'll go to the next one. It's okay. But if we do that, what we're doing is we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure. Instead, we miss the point and we stop being the influence we need to be and we're meant to be by God. We're instead passing a set of rules or truths without a relationship and you establish something we don't want. Something that's empty, hollow, shallow. Moses pointed out in this passage that everything centered around love. Loving God is the most important thing. We also see this in Paul. He's a disciple of Jesus as he's encouraging Timothy. Hence why we say we want a Paul and a Timothy in our life. He says in 1 Timothy 1, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Don't give up on your faith. Paul's encouraging him. Don't be like the ones that are around you. You can do this. And the only reason Paul could speak this truth into their lives is because he had a relationship with Timothy. And he can encourage him throughout his life. Fight for a relationship with God. See, Moses and Paul, they're not trying to win an argument or set these principles up without a reason. No, they're fighting for something that is lasting. And they want to win the heart, not the thing that is most pressing at the moment. As a parent, I know, this is a hard one to remember, especially when you're in the middle of an argument. Maybe it's over homework or bedtime or how much screen time your kid gets. It's one that looks at the relationship and says, I'm not asking these things to be mean. I'm asking them because I value our relationship and I want you to do what will point you towards the most important thing. This is also something that as a church, We're constantly trying to remember ourselves. See, we're not trying to do things for personal gain, but we're doing it because we want to establish something that wins the hearts of the next generation for Jesus. See, God, he established something through Moses and Jesus. He said that love outweighs obedience. Love is the priority over all things. So how are we showing that love to those that we have influence over, to our families, to the next generation. That brings us to our fourth key principle. As we invest in the next generation, 
we need to create a rhythm. You see, rhythm, it's a pretty important thing in life. Most of our lives, they're largely programmed around this idea of having a rhythm. Rhythm is why most of you, if you were here last week, you're sitting in the same spot you were last week and the week before that and the week before that. See, we get into this routine and rhythm. Rhythm is why you keep calendars, why TV shows lock into a time slot in a day and keep going it. It's why we here at Plum Creek don't randomly just change our times to say, hey, next week we're going to meet at midnight. No, we don't do that. As we go from day to day, we establish a rhythm and pattern that in turn shapes us, it shapes us and our children. See, in this passage, Moses warns against the kind of faith that just shows up on Sunday and goes away on Monday. Or faith that just shows up on special holidays. Moses says this is about the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And this is what he continues with saying after that. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You see, what happens every day defines what normal becomes for your family. In this passage, Moses is encouraging families to allow God to permeate their daily rhythm rather than just showing up once a week. He's saying, if you want to impress these truths in the hearts of your kids, you need to be more deliberate about creating a rhythm within your home that represents these truths. And I know that can be challenging. This is where Moses is amazing. He gets really practical. And he says, let me give you four key times to allow God to permeate in the rhythm. He said, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So in our culture, that translates into these four times. Mealtime, drive time, bedtime, and wake up in the morning. I, again, I want to talk and point you to that Parent Q app that we have at Plum Creek. It breaks it down each week into different times you can talk to your child about the principles that we're learning. It's a great way to get a rhythm going and invest in the next generation. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 78 about this. He says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commands. It's a great reminder of what is important and how we need to help create a rhythm in the next generation that focuses on everyday life and how that can translate into your relationship with God and include him in everything. Well, that brings us to our last principle. And I think it's probably the most important. What we see in Deuteronomy is that we need to make it personal. Before any other instruction, Moses says this. It has to be yours. This has to belong to you. Most of us have been on a flight before, right? You've been on a flight, you know, flown. A lot of people have. I got an opportunity a few years ago to go on a flight with some students that had never been. Best time of my life going with somebody that hasn't gone before. Because you can freak them out a little bit. And 
the thing about it is when you get on a flight, most of us tune out because we've heard the rules and we heard the spiel before, right? Well, these guys that have never been, they pay attention to what the flight attendant is saying. And they're there following the rules, buckled up nice and tight and snug. And the one thing that really sticks out is the flight attendant will say, now if there's any cabin pressure changes, an oxygen mask will fall down and you're going to need to grab it and put it on yourself. And if you're traveling with young kids, you're supposed to put it on yourself first and then your kid. And to me, that goes against my instincts. I want to make sure my kids are taken care of before I want to make sure I'm taken care of. That's exactly what this principle is talking about, though. It's about us being healthy so they can be healthy. We're going to break that down a little bit. If you're on that flight and you don't get the oxygen mask on you, you might not be able to get it on that kid right. So that's why they say that. Sometimes making sure we are healthy is the greatest way that others will be healthy around us. The reality is this. If my kids don't see my faith as something that is real in my life, there's a great chance that it will never be something real in their lives. If you want it to be in them, it needs to be in you. If you want your kids to have a vibrant, personable relationship with Jesus Christ, they need to see it in you. If you want your kids to have a passion and practice reading the Bible, guess what? They need to see that in you. If you want your kids to serve, they need to see you serving. This doesn't mean that you need to pretend to be someone you aren't so that when they see it, they'll just do it. No, kids will see right through that. This means you need to start walking along the path to make it personal and point yourself in the right direction. You might not have everything right, but that doesn't matter. You need to start taking the steps towards that now. For those of you that aren't parents in this stage of life, all this still remains true when it comes to sharing and living out your faith among your friends and family. Before we can truly start pointing people towards Jesus, we need to make sure we're pointing ourselves towards Jesus. From the book, Sticky Faith, Kara Powell, she gives us some great insight on how to help make our faith a lasting impact on those below us. And this is what she says when it comes to making it personal. Our research shows that asking questions can pay off, but as vital to sticky faith is that you also share about your own faith. In other words, don't just interview your kids. Discuss your own faith journey, all of its ups and downs as well. I love what Matthew has to kind of say about this. In Matthew 5, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be seen, hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, if we want to have an impact, we need to make sure we're making it personal and have a real relationship with Jesus. A relationship that is active and seeking him in all areas of our lives. The next generation, they need us to invest in them. We need to use our influence, our gifts, our talents to point them to the most important thing in the universe, a relationship with Jesus. And we won't be able to do that if it isn't personal 
and isn't real in our own lives. I don't want you to just take my word for what we've been talking about today. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not the only one that's going to be sharing with you. I want you to hear from some of our students as they talk about what's influenced them and how they're using that to influence others as well. Check out their stories. Nicole and her grandparents, they've been really, really impactful. Um, some of my friends from youth group, like Abby and Cody and Keith, my boyfriend who is there. My youth, uh, youth uh, my small group teacher would uh, inspire me because uh, everybody would be talking and like people would laugh and stuff and they'd tell us a story or something. And it's like, it's, it doesn't always have to be funny, it could be inspiring or something. My grandma and grandpa, because they come to church every, um, every Sunday, like, every, every Sunday. The youth group is really, like, so far what was influencing me at the time, like, mostly. My leaders, they, Lenny, Tony, Katie, they all, were very, their leaders, my, or they were, um, they impacted me in many ways and guided me and showed me, you know, um, how to become closer to God and, like, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't planning on, you know, 
putting my hands up in the air and like I just felt someone grab it and throw it up in the air and I felt like like God next to me. I felt him there. And I was like, that's when I knew like this he is amazing. This he's so powerful. And I really saw like I saw this more for I saw him like more of how he is or who he is. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to get baptized or not. And we just me and you we just kept talking about it. And we got to the lake. And I, at first I was like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to do it, I'm not sure. And then I realized, you know, this is what I came here to do, was to just be with God. So I ended up deciding just with a small group of people, not with everyone, but <laughs> um, to get baptized. So I can just be closer to the Lord. And it was a really cool decision. It was a cool moment. Yes, it was very powerful. And you got to share that with people that helped you so much. Yes. Sunday had passed in my family, and so it was, I took it really hard. And but I didn't stop coming. I didn't stop coming to church. And when they were talking, like we had talked through it, and I had decided because it, she had taken the wrong decision or did the wrong decision, and um, it shows how powerful God was to me, like in a way. It helped you in a yeah. tough time in making decisions like that. It's, it's very mature. Lord, I want to pray that you can help us as young people guide others that are lost in the darkness and help help us pull them into the light and guide them towards you and to um, guide them um, towards the right path. Um, Lord, help them to know that, and help people to understand that even though at times we can be lost and confused, but there's still hope. Um, I want to thank you for this youth group. I want to thank you for these amazing people who have guided us. And um, help us to impact others again. So, in your name we pray. Amen. This morning, we studied God's Word together and realized we need to be investing in this next generation. We need to help point them to our one true God, the creator of everything. As we're going to get together and stand up and sing our last song, I want you to think about how God is moving in your life. And maybe through today, he's asking you to get involved and invest and volunteer, possibly, in our student or our kids' ministry. I'd love to talk to you about that. But today, there are some of you here that have yet to make it personal. You've yet to make that decision to follow him. And I'm going to be down front. And I want to talk to you about what does it mean to have that relationship, that most important thing in our life, our relationship with Jesus, so that we can help others do the same thing. So as we stand and sing, come meet me down front if you have a decision to make. Let's stand together.